family. Welcome to another episode of Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about feeding our families, especially with the challenges of having a picky eater. Is this something that you experience, Tara? Yes. Uh, we've talked about this off and on. Number one, about a or uh, number one and a sorry number one either, a either. they eat a lot of food and then of course you know I have a really picky eater and then we both struggle with finding the time and the energy to like feed our family good food I feel like we eat a lot of processed food <laughs> like I don't know if you can tell but of all the motherhood stuff I go through how to feed my kid when to feed my kid how to make him eat better food I I just get really anxious about this. Yeah, and it's something that's it's like gotten a big deal. It's gotten harder, you know. A lot yes. of motherhood has gotten a lot easier as they've gotten older. Yeah, I think that the food and the nutrition has gotten so much more difficult. The first year of Roman's life, he was completely breastfed. <sighs> he did not do formula. He started with solid foods when mm-hmm. he was five months old. But again, we had a guide of what to do. You give him the canned food. Right. You give him some. <laughs> it was so easy. It was so easy. It was the canned food Three and the booby. Two of this, yeah. five of this, good. <laughs> That's yeah. it. And then you start trying to introduce your kids to food. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it backfires. Mm. And then you get to a point where they like a certain food. You want them to be happy. Mm-hmm. So you keep feeding them the same things. Right. And sometimes the kids have a limited palate. And unfortunately, now here I am with a 12-year-old who still has a limited palate. Yes. So I am really excited to have this conversation with hosts from one of my favorite podcasts. And I think that we should let you and your fangirling Tara introduce. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, obviously, Kanji and I have no idea how to do this well. We're all learning. (laughs) So so we really needed to have some experts on today. And I'm very excited about it. Uh, Today, we're bringing in the experts from the Didn't I Just Feed You podcast. It's absolutely one of my favorites. It's I've only recently discovered it and I've enjoyed it so much. But it's hosted by Stacey Billis and Megan Spawn. And it's really helped save my sanity because they actually tackle these exact issues, how to feed your family, how to deal with picky eaters, how to find more time and energy so that it's not just taking up so much of your effort and making family mealtime more fun, which is I think what we're all going for. Stacy's actually a mom of two boys. She's a cookbook author and she's a regular contributor to every food website and morning TV show I've ever heard of or ever loved. It's so impressive. And Megan is a mom to two littles. She's an accomplished pastry chef, and she's currently the associate food editor at Kitchen.com, which is one of my go-to websites for easy recipes. This is fantastic. We have brought in the experts. And if I do not leave this episode today knowing how to feed my kid and keeping him alive for the next six or seven years, <laughs> I will have failed. But I know that Stacy and Megan will be here dropping gems and sharing with us information on how we can best parent and feed our kids with nutritional and thoughtful and hopefully good and tasty meals. So Stacey and Megan, welcome to the conversation. Yeah, we're so happy to join you guys. I'm really excited to chat about managing the mental load of dinner planning. Can't wait to talk to you guys about picky eaters, everybody's favorite topic. (laughs) I'm so excited, ladies. We love the podcast. And if anything, you know, for me, it's really shown me that I'm not the only mom that's overwhelmed with how we're supposed to feed our kids, how we're supposed to keep our families healthy and 
get them that nutritional value they're supposed to be getting. So we appreciate everything you're doing for us in that space. I mean, just real quick before we jump in, and maybe Megan, you can tell us, why do you think this topic is so hard for parents? I mean, why is feeding our kids and our family so tough? Oh, man, I wish there was like a really short answer. But the (laughs) truth is, you know, if you count just breakfast, lunch and dinner, we're feeding our families 127 meals a week. And then when you include snacks, it feels like 1,064. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that there's that like partnered with the fact that we're also exposed to a lot of media, whether it's like Instagram or magazines or TV shows that also puts this pressure on us about how we should be feeding our kids, whether it's like, oh, we should be buying this thing to make the job easier. Or if it's information from like dietitians being like, well, we have to make sure that the kids are getting enough protein. Protein seems to be this thing that all of food media is obsessed with at the moment and maybe is not as big a deal as it's made out to be. So I think there's just like a lot of pressure to feel like we're feeding our family and that we're also doing a good job of it in short. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So my personal question for today, because this obviously is all about me, I need I need help in this area. <laughs> and Stacey, I think this is uh, an area that you've talked a lot about on the podcast is, you know, I have a picky eater. And he eats all right, but he eats like the same five things. And he's not very open to trying new things. And and sort of what you were touching on, Megan, is there's all this shame about that, that if he if I were doing a better job as a mom, he'd eat better food and eat more food. And so I guess, you know, Stacey, what are your thoughts on a is he probably getting enough good food? Do I need to worry about this? And then B, like what sort of advice do you give to a mom who's having a hard time with a, someone who doesn't want to eat a lot of different things? You know, I do want to circle back to what Megan was saying about the food media and all the messages that moms are bombarded with, because there's another aspect to this that we haven't talked about that I think it's important to talk about, which is mm-hmm. that family food media in particular is really dominated by middle-class, upper-middle-class white women. Mm, That includes me and Megan. So I think it's really important to put it out there that a lot of the advice that even I've given over the years, I'm sure Megan would say the same for her, really comes from this place of having enough money to, you know, have your 12 exposures, and then they'll eat it. (laughs) You know, not every family feels comfortable or able to put something on a child's plate 12 times over when they know (laughs) their kid is going to be like, that's gross, I refuse to eat it, and then throw it in the trash. So all this to say, all the research points to the fact that Selective eating is not a major issue. If there's an issue of malnutrition, which can happen in a lot of different ways, your doctor will tell you or go and ask and advocate for your child. And if there is a serious picky eating issue, a lot of times that has to do with sensory issues, behavioral challenges. It's not just about the food and harping on the food and going at it with your kid and really arguing with them over and over actually can exacerbate the problem and make it worse. So I have to be aware of the fact that now I have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. So Mm -hmm, it's a little bit easier for me to sit back and say, relax. It's going to be fine. Because I do remember when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be fine. 
one thing that Megan and I say over and over and over is that our goal here isn't to raise kale eaters <laughs> or quinoa <laughs> lovers. Our goal is to use what we have access to to help our children develop a healthy relationship with food. And a healthy relationship with food doesn't look just one way. And it can be with all different kinds of foods. It can be with culture and food and candy and quinoa, if that's what you love. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really focusing on that and remembering that more than anything, struggling and arguing and fighting with a kid at the dinner table is the thing that is most undermining your kid's healthy relationship with food. Stacy, I love everything you said, and you touched on some really important points that we talk about, especially now in the middle of this she session, right? Mm -hmm. Because COVID has displaced and put a lot of women out of work and yep. food insecurities that a lot of families are struggling with is now escalated, amplified. Mm -hmm. And I think I wanted to talk to you both a little bit about what kind of healthy relationship can we really start to develop with food when we have a lot of people who are struggling to put food on the table? And sometimes the easier, more economical choice is stopping by McDonald's and getting that $2.99 happy meal, right? So how can we as parents who may be struggling socioeconomically make it so that we're making a concerted effort to establish healthy relationships that are also within the confines of our economic situation and reality. I mean, does that make sense, Megan? It does. And the thing about it is, and we talk about this a lot when we talk about bringing food joy to our table or, or you know, Stacey saying it's about candy and quinoa is like taking a like a long view of your kid's relationship with food and knowing that if you do fast food once a week or twice a week, especially in a season that's very hard on you financially and you're trying to work within a budget, all of that is also going to be balanced out with the homemade meals that you make or even shortcut meals that you're getting from the grocery store or the food bank or your community center. All of that balances out over a long period of time. And we really discount that that also teaches our kids, like, it's okay to have fun food or treat food. We ha I hate to use those labels like, oh, fast food is fun food or candy is fun food. But like every diet should have room for chocolate as much as it has room for kale. And I think showing that, that in some seasons when you don't have the money to experiment with food or try new things a lot, it's okay to lean into things that are comforting and easy and meet your budget. So what if your diet is much more chocolate than it is kale? <laughs> and I'm kind of just asking this for this imaginary friend or mom who right. may have a lot of chocolate in her COVID diet just to deal with the anxiety of having a 12-year-old son at home and wondering when she's ever leaving the house. Mm -hmm. But obviously, this is not me. So. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, what would we say to the mom who's listening, one of our podcast family members? You know, I... I just want to step back and talk about the McDonald's and the chocolate too, which is that these things are nourishing for us. If that's all you can afford, you are thankful to have it. It reminds me a little bit of the breastfeeding formula debate. Mm. And gosh, I have such a long personal story around that. But let's just say that for my first son, Isaac, I was gung-ho about breastfeeding him to the point where I was really 
not paying attention to the fact that he was starting to not thrive, which is also a terrible phrase that I hate using. Mm. But that is the technical phrase, failure to thrive. And at four months old, my pediatrician was like, you you have to go get formula and I want you to go home and get it right now, like today. Like that's his meal tonight. Wow. And I ended up like going nuts, feeding on demand, weighing him, like pumping on demand. I couldn't leave my house for a while because I was trying to get my breast milk production up. And long story short, I I did everything. I was not making enough milk to feed this kid, to sustain him. And I look back at that and I feel so sad for myself <laughs> that yeah. I was upset at formula. I judged myself so harshly when it helped my child live, literally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the chocolate is nourishing you. It sounds, I mean, your friend, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Stacy, for a clear Yes. <laughs> it's nourishing you emotionally. And that's, you know, we can't on one hand talk about how food brings us together and we connect over food and we, you know, culture and food and all these wonderful things. And then on the other side, deny that it also nourishes us emotionally when we're leaning into quote unquote bad foods. Mm. So, you know, this idea of just food being food, if you personally don't like the idea of feeding your kids McDonald's or you don't want to have that chocolate around, it brings you stress. I think there's a couple of things. One is maybe to stop and think about your own relationship with food and what you're projecting onto your kids. And is it really that, you know, do you feel like you're really undermining your values? Or is there some like health principle here that you're upset with? Like just be willing to reflect on that because food, feeding our kids is so primal and emotional. I think we project a lot of our food issues onto how we feed our kids. Mm. And it makes it unnecessarily hard on everybody. But also then if you really don't, you're like, I really don't want to feed my kid that stuff. It's hard to find something quite as cheap, but a bag of beans is really cheap and a bag of rice is really cheap. But then know that what you're going to have to trade off is putting more time into cooking. If you're doing more chocolate than kale, I think that that's okay, especially during a global pandemic, by the way. (laughs) You know, (laughs) your friend can think about like why that's kind of sticking in her mind and decide if it's really an issue or not. Because let me tell you, 12-year-old boys can burn that off real quick. It's not much of an issue for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and before we before we move on, because you're leading us right into sort of our next conversation we wanted to talk about is the time and the the mental load aspect of cooking and feeding our family. But I, I'm so glad you shared that story, Stacey. Uh, you can't know this, but I actually told a very similar story on our podcast that I, you know, with my son, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to breastfeed. You know, all my friends did it for a year and a half. And I made it about three months and and that was it. And I still carry this crazy emotional guilt about it. And I know rationally that it's a ridiculous thing to be ashamed of. But I, you know, when I hear people tell their stories about, oh, I breastfed for two years, I'm like, I didn't. It hurts (laughs) a little still. It does. It still stings. And so, and when you were getting into the thought about before you even said it, when you guys were speaking a few minutes ago, I was realizing that 
it is, it is about how my relationship with food is projected to my kid, right? I have these ideas about how I grew up with food and what I'm seeing in the media. And then I'm turning that into how I'm supposed to be feeding my kid. That is such a big piece of information that I'm so glad you sort of shine the light there because you're absolutely right about that. The next thing you Kanji and I were kind of talking about and wanted to get with you guys on, and I know, Megan, this is sort of your expertise as far as, you know, meal planning for your family. We both have super busy schedules. And as we've been talking, you know, this is pretty common for women in general. We want to take care of our family. But yes, sometimes it requires a lot more time and energy than we can find. So I'm just curious, for me, sometimes I feel terrible that I it's like a genetic thing, right? I see moms out there and they're cooking and they're making the food and laying down a great table, but I just don't have that. Um, so when you guys are offering advice, I mean, what's the best advice you would offer to parents out there that are struggling with the time and energy to put together, you know, a meal for their family? What's the best piece of advice you would give? Oh man, I feel like we're we're both Stacy and I are living this struggle right now having been, you know, at home in some form for the last year and cooking more meals than ever before and even as trained chefs, we are just also on the struggle bus. I have like fallen on and off the wagon of meal planning mm-hmm. so much in the last year and I know Stacy has a similar experience although she's more of a meal prepper than a meal planner. And we sort of have this idiom that we use internally when we're talking to each other. And it's like, not having a plan is also a form of a plan. So when you're not making a plan for your meals in advance, you're you're making the choice, you're making the plan to stand at the fridge door at, <laughs> you know, 445 on a Wednesday and go, okay, what am I going to pull off for dinner tonight? So I do feel like For me, meal planning takes a lot of the mental load off. Like I'm sitting down once a week or some people I know meal plan once a month, which is like seems like a lot, but you could do it in 30 or 40 minutes. So you're kind of like making a roadmap for what you're going to cook and eat for your family that week. And to be quite honest, my meal plan never follows exactly what I plan because I plan on Friday night so I can grocery shop over the weekend and do a little prep on Sunday. It, it makes it like not this huge ordeal to break it up over three days. But I have to tell you that like my meal plan I create on Friday never looks the same on Thursday. Even today, like we have something planned for dinner and we were able to get vaccine appointments this afternoon. So we are not doing that dinner tonight. We're going to go get our vaccine appointments and we are definitely doing drive through mm. and we'll just move that meal to another night. But there's something about... Having a plan that takes the stress off of me, I already know what's going to be for dinner without having to think about it. And it's not this like looming question in the back of my head as I'm trying to get the kids ready for school, as I'm trying to work, et cetera, throughout the day. The other thing that is helpful with meal planning, and this is very dependent on the system that you set up for your family, is that it also communicates to my husband or your partner, whoever you live, whether if you, even if you just have roommates, it communicates what is going on that day and gives them the opportunity to step in and help. Like my husband can look at what the plan is and know like, okay, I'm going to clean up the kitchen at the end of the day and make sure there's a pot of water on because I know that we're having pasta tonight. And I know that those are some of the things that Megan's going to need when she steps into the kitchen at 530 
to cook dinner. So really, like the, I hate to say that meal planning is the only solution, and I bet that Stacy will have some other strategies. But that is a big strategy that helps me. Even if I only plan two or three meals for the next week, it's a jumping off place. I can get groceries for that, and I can have that stress taken away. That's awesome. You alluded to the fact that Stacy is more of a meal prepper. Stacy, could you share with us the difference between meal prepping and meal planning and why meal prep works for you and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So meal planning is like what Megan described. You sit down, you think about what you're going to cook that week. And I will say that we have a whole episode on meal planning for on Didn't I Just Feed You? Because there's all these little strategies that you can use, like limiting how much time you give yourself. The more time you give yourself, the longer it's going to take because the internet is an, you know, a deep black hole of recipes <laughs> that you can fall down. <laughs> True story. Leaving open space so that you can move things around. Like if Megan just leaves an open space for Friday, tonight's meal could be moved to Friday. And, you know, that leaves room for her to do the drive through tonight and her plan is still intact. You can also have a midweek check in with yourself and just say like, how's this going? Like, have my using everything? How do I want to shift things around? It can be flexible. I think people think that a meal plan has to be this fixed thing and you're beholden to it. And that feels very restricting to some people. I ended up moving from meal planning over to meal prepping as my boys got older. You know, when they were young and it was, you know, dinner was always at home, always with the two of them, always at 630 because <laughs> they were little. Yeah. It was really easy. But tonight, for example, my kids have been in hybrid school. My 14-year-old was in person today. It's a beautiful day in New York City like unbelievably beautiful, one of the first. And he texted after school and was like, I'm going to go play basketball at the playground. So <laughs> I don't know when he'll be home exactly. Nice. And so being able to kind of flex around what the boys are doing and how my husband and I can kind of be flexible in our work and our schedules around that as well. So with meal prepping, I might have a couple of general ideas that helps me grocery shop, but then I'm just prepping a bunch of food and not in a big three hour chunk on Sunday. Believe me, that's not how I like to spend my time. But like if I'm, you know, Megan and I talk a lot about cook once, eat twice. So if I make something on Monday night with rice or with pasta or roasted veggies, I can double that really easily. And that can be, you know, for a dinner that I put together on a whim on Thursday. Same with the pasta, same with the roasted vegetables. So just thinking about where I can kind of double up my work and then have food that's prepped and ready to use. You know, I can just take that rice and turn it into stir fry in 15 minutes. And I also really like this because with older kids, it empowers them to cook and help also. So I wish I wish Isaac liked cooking more. <laughs> he doesn't do it very much, even though I encourage him. But my 11-year-old really does like cooking. So I'm hoping that in the next few years, this will really take root in our family habits. But, yeah. you know, if the rice is already cooked in there, I can say, well, just make yourself some fried rice and you'll be good because I'm going to continue working right now. I have to. But you can make yourself a quick dinner. 
Well, and that brings Kanji and I both a lot of hope. So I have an 11 year old, almost 11 year old. She has a 12 year old. Keep hope alive. Yes. Thank you. Because what I love to, what I love to about that story is that um, it sounds like that you guys, you know, a fixed meal time for me is like one of the circles of hell. I just want us all to just handle our own business. We don't eat together unless we eat out. I mean, we really do kind of do our own thing. And so I love the idea that as he's getting older, that's, that's much more reasonable, you know, for us just to all kind of handle our own meals or maybe just put something together that we all look similar. I love that idea. Yeah, just do what works for your yeah, family. Just do Absolutely. What works. Yeah. yeah. So the last point of area, and I could talk to you ladies all day, A, because I don't cook and I really need some recipes, Stacy. But we do <laughs> understand that it's a beautiful day in New York. So Stacy probably wants to get outside. Yeah. A bit. yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about how food tends to create cultural connections. Tara and I are advocates for anti-racism awareness and cultural understanding and learning. And we really think and know that building cultural connections and awareness is a way to start to heal the racial divide in our communities. And a lot of us are seeing types of food and cultures of food and diverse foods out there, but some people, some of us never experienced that growing up. Some of our palates were never exposed to that. Can you share maybe Stacy and then Megan how we could introduce kids who may have that limited palate, who may not be exposed to foods from different cultures, how even at a young age, you can start to safely introduce them to new foods and adults too, who've never tried certain foods. Absolutely. I think this is a really interesting question because I'm first generation Greek. So my entire family before me is from Greece. Both of my parents are from Greece. And I grew up eating pretty much just Greek home cooking. Like I didn't Mm. have, I think we had Chinese takeout probably by the time I was 11. Definitely didn't have Japanese until I was in college. Um, (laughs) My dad had a steakhouse, so like quote unquote American food. Okay, He was an independent entrepreneur in New Jersey. And it's a very common thing for Greek immigrants to fall into is the restaurant business. So, you know, I didn't have a like completely limited palate, but the home cooking was mostly Greek food, mostly because my grandmother was helping take care of me because my mom was a single mom. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's so... I come at it from this first generation point of view where I was so excited to learn about different foods and get out there and try stuff. And I actually helped introduce my mom to a lot of things because (laughs) she's not super into food and she just is happy with her Greek food. Yeah. So when my kids were young, it was just so exciting to me to introduce them to curries and to, you know, all these different flavors and to Japanese food. My older son, his favorite thing is sushi. That's what he loves to eat most. I want to be aware of the fact that I'm coming from living in New York City. I think a really important thing is not just cooking at home, especially when the food media right now is reckoning with how recipes from other cultures have been presented and by whom they've been presented. Mm. This is a really big issue that we're grappling with Mm -hmm. as an industry. You know, if the white lady who grew up in Minnesota is developing a recipe for chickpea curry, what does that mean? And what does it mean for us to make that and present that as 
quote-unquote authentic food. And even the word authentic is problematic. Yeah. But I'm not trying to put extra burden on busy parents. The onus isn't just on them to, like, do the research. The onus is on the industry to fix that and to increase meaningful representation. But it doesn't all have to be at home. If you have the budget for it, going to the locally owned restaurant where the old Greek man <laughs> is the proprietor. My favorite, by the way, Stacey. Yeah, like, and is making spanakopita because my dad, you know, he had this little diner and then he had this steakhouse. There was always spanakopita and it was his recipe. Like that mm. was the one thing that wasn't developed by the kitchen staff. So doing that or finding the locally owned, whatever it is, whatever you're interested in. But doing that from a young age and just exploring flavors, I do want to say to all the parents of babies out there that spice and even a little bit of heat, uh, these are all <laughs> things that are totally healthy in other countries. Babies are eating whatever their families are eating. You know, they're drinking even before they're eating solids. They're drinking breast milk that might be a little bit spicy because mama eats spicy foods. So don't be afraid to play with flavor. There's no reason why the foods that we feed our kids from the very beginning have to be bland. I love that. I love that, Stacey. What about you, Megan? Do you have any um, thoughts on that? Yeah, it's so interesting because Stacey and I have so much shared background from growing up with single moms to having dads in the restaurant industry. And like, I always joke that I started cooking because we were eating so much hamburger helper and tuna noodle casserole. It's like, <laughs> that's what my single mom putting herself through graduate school had the bandwidth for. And that's great. Like, I still actually sort of crave hamburger helper as a grown-up, like the the box kind. I don't want homemade. I want the like yeah. faux cheese powder and everything. <laughs> but I will take the opposite suggestion from Stacey's, which Stacey's is great. Like eat out if you can, order takeout and support those local restaurants where you can have empanadas or enchiladas or whatever and like have conversations around those foods with your kids. I think there's a lot to be said, too, for trying new ingredients at home. And one thing that has worked really well for us, I realize, like, not everyone's able to afford maybe trying, like, a meal kit to do this. But there's a lot of online curriculum that supports it. It's like having sort of a themed night once a month, once a week, however often you're able to, where you explore not only the foods of a region – but also the the culture there um, and the people there. And so if you have, like, my six-year-old loves crispy beef tacos, the very Americanized version of it. Mm -hmm. So we start conversations about, well, what is the root of a taco? And, like, who lives in Mexico? And who do we know that actually has family in Mexico? And, and starting to, like, have conversations even around the things that are very Americanized and talking about how they've been changed, I think – as many conversations as we can have about the roots of food with our kids, I think the more interest that they will have in it. And it makes it just a really easy cultural touch point. Kanji and I have those conversations a lot about how we're being intentional with our kids when we see things in the media and we're talking about, you know, maybe stories we're seeing or pictures we're seeing and we're talking about like, this is, where does that come from? Do you know what that, you know, origination story is? But bringing it to food seems like such an easy, fun idea. Yeah. I love that. I like the extending the cultural awareness and being intentional with how we're teaching our kids about different cultures and using food as the medium. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. I love 
I love everything. Again, we yeah. can go forever. I love everything you've said. I need to unleash fangirl Tara. Please. So Stacy okay. and Megan. Before I unleash Tara, let me just warn you. Tara has this unhealthy obsession with Zach Efron, oh gosh. Beyonce, and the two of you. So the four of you all, for some reason, are like on the top of Tara's list. But I have promised her to let her bring this unhealthy obsession to this podcast yes. for this final question and i tried I, to warn you guys so i you apologize know. i'm so We're sorry but here you go here we go all right tara go ahead the timing was so perfect because i biscuits are my love language <laughs> they are Mine too. my love language and megan i have looked up your biscuit recipe on the kitchen so many times and i'm always so intimidated to try it myself i just i'm like nope i don't think i can do it and then just a couple of weeks ago, you guys did a whole episode on how to make those biscuits. <laughs> and I was like, this timing is perfect because I, I am in love with that recipe. The pictures are amazing. I've never been courageous enough to try it. But after listening to the episode and then watching biscuit after biscuit on the Instagram feed, I'm like, I'm going to have to do this. So while I have you, Megan, <laughs> yes. tell me, what is, what is the one thing that I need to know when I go into this endeavor? Okay. I love biscuits. And it's, of <laughs> course, the reason we did, we waited actually a really long time to do the biscuit episode because I owe everything I know about Southern food and in particular biscuits and fried chicken mm -hmm. to a black woman. And I did not want to have a conversation and not include her. Although now our recipes are so different, but I think that that's like, I will get to the point of like the one most important thing to know. But I think that's like a really important thing to acknowledge is like, Biscuits come from enslaved folks cooking for other people. Mm. And so when you think about that, biscuits were being made long before we had the beautiful ovens that we have now, long before we had commercially made biscuit cutters. And so you really kind of can't mess them up. And I think thinking about that as you're making them and trying not to be too precious about them will actually make for better biscuits. The biscuits want you to be a little bit hard on them. They want you to fold them a little bit, be a little rough with them. And then they want to be like cozy next to each other in the oven when you bake them and they will help each other rise. Megan, you made the biscuits sound like my husband. I mean, that was a love story <laughs> that I am never going to forget. My husband wants the exact same things. I Even am... the folding. He totally wants that. <laughs> totally. But I'm giving too much of my personal business away. So let's yes, wrap yes. this up, ladies. I would love for you to tell our family more about your podcast, where we could find yes. you. Stacy. please share with us how we could find your new book and how we could continue to support you both in everything that you're doing. Absolutely. So we are didn't I just feed you pretty much everywhere <laughs> so wherever you get your podcasts look us up give us a follow if you end up liking us we always love those ratings and reviews we're on social we're at didn't I just feed you mm -hmm. Instagram is where we're most active we do have a Facebook page but I'm going to tell you guys a little secret which is that the real fun on Facebook is honestly happening in our listeners community it's a private listeners community meaning that you need a password to get in and that way we can really limit it to people who are wanting to be there and engage and help and support each other. The password is whiskey, which tells you a whole lot about me and Megan. <laughs> 
no, no more questions. Tara is writing it down yes. right now. I'm joining as soon as possible. And my latest cookbook is called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. And it has 50 recipes for cooking up your favorite protein. I know y'all cook chicken all the time. <laughs> yes, that's one of the foods my kitty. <laughs> right? I wanted to make it easier and tastier and more fun. So that book has been out almost a year. It's hard to believe. It's been very exciting. It is well-loved. And I'll shout out, there's a fast food fried chicken sandwich that is killer. And a cheap pan chicken shawarma that our listeners group really loves. So you should definitely check out Stacey's book. Those are the two big ones. Yeah, those are two favorites. No, there's other really great ones in there too. Those are favorites. And then I will just say Stacey is at Stacey Billis on Instagram where you can keep up with her. And then I'm at Megan underscore Splon on Instagram. Um, if you guys want to follow for more biscuits and more chicken, I guess. <laughs> true. I mean, just speaking my language, ladies. Just yes. saying it all day. And all the things. You have given so generously and graciously of your time, your skill, your expertise. And we are just thrilled to know you and to be in community with you, ladies. I think that when we continue to support and empower one another, the sky is the limit. So thank you so much for taking this time and for sharing with us. Yeah, ladies, we appreciate you so much. I, I yeah. really tried to tone it down, but I'm I'm just thrilled to have been able to talk to you today. She didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, Megan, thank you so much. Stacy, enjoy that weather yeah. in New York. Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait. Well, thank you for having us. Stacy and Megan gave some really great advice, and I feel more comfortable and confident feeding my kid the 127 meals I need to this week. How do you feel, Tara? Yeah, that number alone, I was like, I've never thought of it in that capacity. No wonder I am so tired. I also just want to say that, you know, they came on to give us tips about how to feed our families and how to handle picky eaters. But I just felt like they brought so much more to the conversation. I mean, I was just blown away by their insights and and their thoughtfulness around food and how they're handling things. And I was really impressed. So much more, so yeah. much more. And we can always find them and listen to more of their content at Didn't I Feed You. Their podcast is available on all platforms, just like ours. Yeah, our podcast is available on all platforms. Remember, guys, we love having you every week. You don't want to miss any new episodes. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. So make sure you're following us on all platforms. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at Black and White Momcast. We'd love to hear from you there. We're always sharing our content and interacting. We love you guys. So we're going to go feed our families, continue a healthy relationship with food, and to continue a healthy relationship with each other. With that, we're going to sign off this week, family. Guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual. Nutritional as well. <laughs> Nutritional as well. Yeah. Take good care. Joey? All right, so we're calling that so a wrap. Call, yeah. <laughs> Ladies, thank you Woo! so much. Is there um, is there anything that you said that we need to edit out? Or is there anything that you want to clarify, clarity on or anything? Anything or how you, do you want feel? to cover we yeah. didn't get to? Oh, that's such a good question. We never ask that. <laughs> we don't ask that. <laughs> we make weird executive decisions. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. So you do have carte blanche if, you, if there's stuff you need to edit. But I can't think of anything, Stacey. No, whatever you guys think works best for your audience, truly. Yes.